It's the time of year for admissions counselors when our travels come to a full stop and we begin to read thousands of applications, each of which contains a high school transcript. Grades on these transcripts are universally understood benchmarks to rate academic achievement, and almost every college admissions person will tell you that it is absolutely the foundation on which a strong application to college must stand. A is good, F is super bad, and C is average, right? A lot of the time, grades are also given on a 100-point scale. All of these grades translate to a four-point scale where an A is a four and a B is a three and so on, and the average is what gives you that distillation of all you are as a sentient being, the storied grade point average. Lots of people have thoughts about the effectiveness of our grading system, but my guest today, Scott Looney of the Hawkins School and the Mastery Transcript Consortium, has some fairly major objections to the way we do it now. And letter grading is a horrific thing we do to children. Grades are, hard, are, are counterproductive to learning. They actually diminish kids' interest in learning, they diminish kids' effort, and they diminish results. Grades are bad for learning. This has led Mr. Looney to gather over 150 independent or private schools to sign on to a brand new way to think about grading high school students, and it starts by eliminating grades. Welcome to The Crush. Welcome, folks. I'm Davin Sweeney, an admissions counselor at the University of Rochester, who talks to people on this podcast who are challenging norms in the realm of college and college admissions, just like my guest today, Scott Looney, because what he is proposing couldn't look and feel more different from a traditional high school transcript. But first, go and rate the show on iTunes, follow me on Twitter, and I've added a section on the website, crushpodcast.com, where you can find and buy books by guests and other books about this world that I think are worth checking out. Just click on the link that says, Books and Media by Guests at the top of the website. This is a little bit of a challenging episode because it does talk about a thing that should be seen to be best understood. And this being an auditory experience, that's, you know, a challenge. So I'll tell you to press pause here and click the link in the show notes to take a look at a few examples of these mastery transcripts so that you can kind of know what we're referring to. Okay, so the controversy over grades is as varied as types of transcripts, which are themselves myriad. There isn't really a national standard for what should be taught and learned and therefore graded. That's kind of what the common core was meant to resolve, I think. And every public school district, or even schools within that district maybe, will have different looking transcripts to report on those different grading systems and transcripts at every independent or private school, like the group of schools in the Mastery Transcript Consortium, have a different look and feel. There are alternative schools that have done away with grades altogether in favor of narrative assessments, and some schools are ditching the 100-point scale and returning to an A through F grading scale so that kids don't nitpick over the difference between an 87 and an 89. That would now just be a B plus, right? So I'm interested in this as a person who has to pile through hundreds of applications each year and therefore transcripts. So I want to know how we're supposed to regard this thing if it is to become a staple across hundreds of schools, as Scott Looney is hoping. Most selfishly, uh, as an admissions counselor, I wonder how long is this going to take me to get used to? How long is it going to take me to understand a mastery transcript in the course of reviewing an application? But overall, what assurance can it give us, the admissions counselors, that kids are ready for college? 
It stands to mention here, of course, that, quote, college ready, unquote, is a pretty controversial term and one that is pretty much impossible to define objectively. Most people you meet would tell you that some, many, or all parts of the system of college readiness preparation is broken, and it's been a through line in this podcast for sure. One thing that I think lots of us in, let's say, selective college admissions, what we see is a whole lot of high school students who are professional, how hires relative to the task of being asked to jump. You see what I mean? I recently watched the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam, and the phrase, what gets measured gets done, was used there, mainly in reference to the newfangled management style that Secretary of Defense Robert McNamara brought to the war. And no, despite how some kids might feel about it, I am not saying that being a high school student is like the Vietnam War. But that dictum does hold up because, well, if we tell a kid that the best is an A, then they'll shoot to get an A. Our hope, of course, is not that a student gets that A, but rather that they learn, or perhaps even master, the subject matter being taught, and that the A reflects that. You can go back to the very first episode of this podcast and listen to Bill DeRizowitz's opinions on why he thinks students aren't being taught in high school or college to be critical thinkers, but rather taught to achieve achievements. Or you can listen to episode 11 with Denise Pope, who wrote a book called Doing School, How We Are Creating a Generation of Stressed Out, Materialistic, and Miseducated Students. And she makes more or less the same point. In fact, you can buy that book right off, uh, right off the Crush podcast website. How about that? Other complimentary episodes to help frame the issue a bit further might be episode 13 with Julie Lithcott-Hames and episode 12 with uh, Thacker and Weissboard on their Turning the Tide report. So enter Scott Looney in the Mastery Transcript to present a new way to think about it that seems as its core intention to resolve this very concern. Okay, here's my conversation with Scott Looney. I spoke with him at his hotel in Boston, where we were both in town for the National Association of College Admissions Counseling, or NACAC, conference. Here at NACAC, glorious Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I think we're about to get our daily furious storm, right? That have been assaulting us for about five minutes every day so far this week. And uh, I'm here with Scott Looney, and you are the man behind the mastery transcript. Yes. And and more. Yes. But I'm here in particular to ask you some questions about that. Great. Um, so, yeah, what is your day-to-day? Day-to-day, I'm the head of school at Hawkins School in Cleveland. It's a preschool through 12th grade school with about 1,300 kids. Um, and then my, my new role is I was the founder and board chair of the Mastery Transcript Consortium. So what, what is it about maybe the environment at Hawkins that had uh, a role in the development of the mastery transcript, and we'll get into what that is and everything soon, but... Sure. I didn't set out, we didn't set out to start a new consortium. We started out to, to have a different way of teaching kids in high school because the current model um, has some benefits, but it's largely broken. It's built on a false premise that um, the kids are widgets and that if you apply industrial production methodologies to teaching and learning that it can benefit kids. Um, and there's a lot of remnants from the industrial revolution that insinuate themselves into education that are not very old. They're 100 years old, but they're really bad practices. There is fact little to no research to support them, like letter grading kids, um, using Carnegie units to measure achievement. Um, 
uh, having a hyper focus on content acquisition versus other things that kids could learn. And so my school has, which is a progressive school, has been moving away from some of those things. And we started hitting roadblocks, some of which we were able to take care of all on our own, the way high school schedules work, um, the way our building worked. And then we got to one we couldn't move without help, which was the high school transcript. Um, high school transcript feels like a, a simple piece of paper, it's no big deal, but it is the one page summary of all of your high school achievement. And it has two kinds of impact. It impacts obviously based on what's on it, which colleges will accept you. But more importantly, and at least in our world, the kinds of things we have to create to put on the transcript actually aren't the kinds of educational experiences we want kids to have in high school. We want to be able to create a different set of high school experiences for them. So we need a new way to credit them. We need a new way to do that. And so we thought that there must be great non-graded um, alternative transcripts out there. And we hired a company called Hanno Research to do a survey of the industry to find us good alternative transcripts. And we figured we'd just find one, ask permission of the current owner and say, hey, can we use it? People in education are super generous and we thought we'd be on our way. They came back and said, yeah, what you're looking for doesn't exist. And so we told them to do it again. We said, no, you got, must have gotten that wrong. Go out and look. There has to be a, a transcript that has these characteristics that we were looking for. And they came back and said, no, it doesn't exist. There's two kinds of transcripts. There's the one 98 to 99% of all high schools use that look just like yours now. Content label courses, Carnegie units, and letter grades. And then there's another set of schools that mostly give narrative feedback. They don't do grades, they just give narrative. But even those, the transcript itself is still a list of courses. Um, and, and so we thought, okay, well, we're the little engine that could, so we'll just build a new one at Hawkins. And so we started building transcript models, and including ones we got kind of excited about. And I took them, I, my background was in admissions for a while, so I took them to my friends who are now college admission deans and I said, hey, what do you think about this? And they all had the same general reaction, which was, this is really interesting. I see why you want to do this. This is fascinating. Yeah, we're going to hate this. <laughs> I'm like, okay, uh, do tell. Uh, he said, look, Scott, you have a right to, to produce any transcript you want. It's your transcript. But you know, we have thousands of applications. And if your transcript is unique, you're the only school in the country doing it, our admission readers aren't going to have time to figure it out, and we'll just ignore it. So we gave up for a little while, actually, until I started talking to some friends of mine who run private schools about this transcript, and they looked intrigued. So I circled back to some of my friends who are college admissions. I said, well, what if I brought 25 or 50 other independent schools with me? And they all said the same thing, which was, oh, that would change everything. If we, knew, if we knew we were going to get a bunch of these transcripts, then we'd have to learn how to read them. So what's the big deal about this, these transcripts? <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, so I should say that you handed me some, some examples here. And right away, it's very colorful. I noticed that. Um, you know, we're looking at pie charts and uh, a whole series of, for lack of a better term, sort of competencies. And, you know, rather than uh, particular sure. subject areas, right? And, um, and students sort of situate themselves somewhere in, yeah. in varying degrees on this, on this pie chart representing different competencies and, and Yeah, and let me tell you about our, our transcript is different in, in couple forms. First of all, it's no longer a, a piece of paper. It's the home page to a much larger set of information. So um, even as recently as seven or eight years ago, many colleges still read files that were paper. 
pretty much not true anymore. There's very few colleges that where the readers, people who do what you do for a living, are staring at a file, a paper file. They're mostly staring at computer screens. They now. still exist, those poor people. Yes, yes, <laughs> they still, still exist. There aren't yeah. many, but... Um, and there are only a handful of vendors, Slate being the most notable one, that produce the software that read. So if the transcript is actually on a computer screen, it doesn't have to be static. It can do things. So ours is live. Every piece of information on that transcript, if you click on it, it does something. Right, so I can drill down into this. Drill stuff, down right? to it. And so what, what you see on though, every single label is not a course, it's a credit. It's a micro credit. So I'll just listen. So we've got seven of these things here: creativity, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, self-directed learning, humanities, and STEM. Those are the mastery areas. But okay. Every single thing underneath that is a specific credit that a kid had to earn. So, so for instance, under communication, you've got virtuoso communication, virtuoso advanced communication. De debate, improvisation, and nonverbal communication right. competency. Right. Which means that kid has mastered those. And we like your college admitter. Well, what is virtuoso communication? Click on it will take you to a standards page. And that page will have the definition of what we consider virtuoso. And on that page will be actual links to all the files that the kid had to submit to earn that credit. So a kid has to put together both their work product, teacher feedback, peer feedback, self-assessment, to whatever standard the school writes, submit that to a panel of teachers, usually two, who are given the ability at a high school to issue credit. And if those teachers agree, this is good enough, it gets a mastery credit. If not, it gets kicked back to the kid with feedback, saying keep working, nice try, you're close, whatever. And, and so traveling with, so this transcript has maybe 50, 50 earned credits. For every one of those earned credits, there might be 10 artifacts. So there's 500 pieces of data attached to our transcript. And you're two clicks away from any one of those pieces of data. You can look at any of it. That's one data point per file I have to read as an admissions counselor, right? But here's the beauty of it. That's what these graphics are. That's the executive summary. You don't have to read any of it. If you trust our standards and you trust the sending source and you think those categories are aligned with your mission, that creativity, critical thinking, communications, collaboration, self-directed learning, humanities, and STEM are a decent set of things for a kid to earn, what we're showing you there is that in four of those categories, this kid is outperforming the norms at my school, and in two of them, he's underperforming the norms in my school. And now you know what kind of kid you're getting. You're getting a kid who's, who's way above average in critical and creative thinking, notably below our average for self-directed learning. So this is probably not the most organized kid, but a kid who's a really interesting creative problem solver. So if Rochester's in the mood for more creative problem solvers, He'll look really attractive if you've just been burned because you've had some kids who weren't very organized and they seem to be having a hard time making it to graduation you might not want to admit this one so what are the problems that you're really trying to solve with this here's here's the problems we're trying to solve which is that if you look at a at the the final transcripts of of the kids who are who are aspiring to the most selective schools they're almost identical which means there's one path Kids believe there's one right answer in terms of God. I can attest to that. Right. <laughs> Seeing a lot of these, I mean, it's, they, they start to look you, AP really, 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 really similar. Straight A's, maybe an A minus thrown in there, right? So what ends up happening, though, is that it, it forces kids to conform their high school path to, to one way of, of being represented. Last I checked, kids were, were not identical. They're very different. And... If you want to see the best of the kids at my school, 
you usually see it in their co-curricular expressions, not in what they do in the classroom. Um, we have kids who do, we, we have um, 125 out of our 500 kids in our high school are on the debate team. We have the largest, it's the largest team in our school. We have national champion debaters in every year. Um, they get no, exactly zero credit on their transcript for all that work. We have world-class public speakers in my school every year. And other than their teacher comment, either their uh, recs, written recommendations, doesn't show up. Well, as colleges start having 40, 50,000 applications, I'm not as sure they're actually reading um, all those recommendations as carefully. I don't think they can anymore. Um, in fact, I have, I won't name names, I'm, I have reason to believe that that's true. That, that, and that could get missed. That this kid's one most extraordinary thing could, because lots of kids say they're on a debate team, lots of kids won a debate tournament, but are they, but is that their defining feature? So here you can get a credit for advanced public speaking, and it could be a credit that, you know, less than 5% of the kids at my school are ever able to earn. And so it's a signal to Rochester, wow, this is a really unusual credit. This kid earned something that, that almost nobody else did. So, so, and then here's the other thing that, um, so the, what we can represent through mastery credits is um, knowledge. There's still credits that represent knowledge and academic skills, but we can also give kids credits for things like persistence. You can get a high school credit for being persistent. You can get a high school credit for um, things like um, teaching something complex to others. Isn't that an interesting thing to earn a credit for? That's a really advanced skill. Anybody who's ever tried to teach something complex to another human being knows that that's a really interesting skill. It would never show up anywhere in a, in a current college file. Now we can actually credit it to a standard. And then the last thing that we're trying to do is, um, is to think differently about curriculum. If you, if you move credits away from content-labeled courses, you now can create more interdisciplinary applied learning. We have a class in our high school called entrepreneurship. It's a three credit honors class. And when our kids who are athletes go to apply to the NCAA clearinghouse, it's not a recognized course. We have to deconstruct that class and give the kid a history, English, and economics credit on their transcript. Guess what? They didn't earn history, they didn't earn economics, and they only earned a little bit of English in that class. But there's no place for it. So the, the rigidness of the college, the, the, the standard course labels, means that um, we can't create the classes and the courses that we want. Um, and we also have, we're bound to time boundaries like um, semesters and years. Um, so Carnegie units, letter grades, and, and content-based courses are, um, are not the future, they're the past. And, um, and then, then letter grading is a horrific thing we do to children. And, and I, when I talk to educators, here's something, when, I, when I'm trying to convince them that maybe the mastery transcript is legitimate, here's a little quiz I do. I said, raise your hand if you enjoy being judged by someone with hierarchical authority over you frequently, almost every day, for four consecutive years. Raise your hand if you think that would be great. No hand goes up. I said, now raise your hand if you like having someone guide and coach you to your best work. I said, we've made teachers be judges. We judge, we ju if, if you don't believe kids don't think letter grades are judging, ask them. 
what happens when a kid who thinks they did A-level work gets a B-minus? The first thing that comes out of their mouth is, that teacher hates me. And it sets up an adversarial relationship, right? I mean, it initially... Who likes their judge? I mean, and I, you know, my, my wife is a university professor, um, and she has had the experience, I believe, uh, increasingly so, uh, whereby the student who um, not only didn't get an A, but maybe an A-minus has now decided that that's not okay and asked, they need to and they need to, to to nitpick on that i asked this question too i said raise your hand if you've seen a kid break into tears after receiving a minus and every hand in the room goes up i'll have i'll be in front of a room of 200 educators and that's the second best grade the system would allow and it and it instantaneously is interpreted as failure that's just a broken system that's just wrong we're supposed to be their guides, their coaches, their mentors. That's the what we're supposed to do. But but the system of producing letter grades and GPAs requires us to be their judge. And it's very hard to be a guide. And, and I use this analogy. I said, how many of you have played sports? Great. I said, do you think you would have performed better if you got a letter grade after every practice? Or how many of you have been a theater director? How about if you gave kids a a letter grade after every rehearsal. You think you'd get a better performance at the end? No. What we're supposed to produce for college is, is kids who can perform, kids who can show up in class and be deep thinkers and, and competent readers and good members of your community and critical thinkers. You need the performance. You don't need, to, you don't need us to grade them every two weeks in every class for four years. It's a really compelling concept. I mean, and it's, it's, it's um, you know, <laughs> I don't see a GPA on here anywhere, you know. Well, and of course labels. There's no, you don't know what classes that kid took. So you know that, I mean, the admissions uh, apparatus at given university uh, is established in such a way that it is set up to receive exactly what is given to it by the high school. Absolutely. And so... You know, how are you expecting, <laughs> and what kind of feedback have you gotten from colleges about what will ultimately be a pretty dramatic challenge sure. to their infrastructure to not just receive information, but interpret it in a way that sure. is going to be helpful to your kids sure. uh, and helpful to whatever their bottom line is as sure. an enrollment manager? First thing that I should say is that we're brand new. The, the, the Mastery Trans Consortium is only six months old. Um, the reason I'm here in Boston at NACAC is to talk to college admission deans. On Sunday, we have a small group of deans um, that are going to really sit down with us for the first time and talk this through. Um, we've had other advisors along the way um, who've agreed to be part of this process. We want to build a transparent system of presenting kids that doesn't require us to shave off their humanity, that is authentic, that is interpreted, and, and we promise that our transcript will be readable in two minutes or less. If you trust the executive summary, you'll be able to use that to decide that this kid, relative to other kids at Hawkins School, um, is closer to what you had in mind. Um, so, uh, so this is this is one of many steps. Um, the other thing I should say is that we think this is going to take eight, six to eight years to do. Why? A couple reasons. One. This model requires a very sophisticated piece of software that doesn't exist in the world. It has to be built. Then it has to be tested. Then it has to be prototyped. Then it has to be prototyped with students, with parents, with college counselors, with college admissions people. That's going to take time. Second of all, um, we think that if we introduce this at a high school, it would be very hard to introduce it to a kid already in their junior or senior year. So we're going to have to start with freshmen. So you got to add four. 
So two years to develop this, the, the system and probably four years until those kids actually graduate and start putting mastery transcripts out into the college system. So that gives us time. It gives us time to have a thoughtful conversation and a thoughtful partnership conversation with the people receiving these. But, and I don't want to say this the right way because I don't want it to come across the wrong way, but we're not asking for permission. There's 150 of us, yeah. and these are the most prestigious prep schools in the United States. Actually, in the world, we have 11 international schools. Um, by January, we'll have 250 to 300 of us. So if, we're, if, if I produce, if I have 120 kids in my graduating class, and let's say, it's a little bigger than average, but let's just say 100 on average. You can do the math pretty quick. Yeah, and it's a force to be reckoned with. Three, three, you know, 200 schools with 100 schools each means there's 2,000 graduates. 2,000 graduates apply to five colleges. That's a lot of mastery transcripts. So you're telling me you're get see used to it, dude. No, I don't want. I don't want this. I don't want to. I, I, I want to make sure that that statement isn't taken as adversarial, and and it's not. It's not intended to be. We think we're going to build some tools in this that actually will make your life easier. That make it easier for you to understand our kids, and that's our intent. Our intent is actually in partnership, but our obligation is to the kids we serve, not to you. Give me and, some. And in order to serve our kids better, we need to have a better way to assess them in high school. Um, that is more authentic to their whole humanity. It is less about content acquisition and how long you sat in certain courses and being judged by a five-point system that no longer has five points. So we need to do that for our kids. And, and it is our transcript. It's, it, but, but we also know that the, the primary highest use of the transcript in life is the way you're assessed for your first college experience. So we can't do this in any other way except in partnership. But we're advocating for our kids and we think we can present them in a way that's makes it potentially if we get this right actually easier for you to figure out who they are and to make the choices that allow you to compose your class for the needs of your university but we we come wanting to be partners but we come representing our kids we are we are sort of unionizing as a group because we need to have a different way to help kids get through high school. It's an interesting. I want to re re return to the uh, to the, the word unionizing later on when we <laughs> when we talk about perhaps the degree to which this is possible for you as independent schools as opposed to a grouping of public schools and the way that that might um, uh, change over time. But we'll get to that. But I'm I mean and you know and I think that we're on the same page here, right? I mean I think that you, you're going to be hard pressed to find anybody in that convention hall representing a university or college admissions office that's going to say they have something other than the best interest of kids at heart. Absolutely. You know, and so it's uh, so I wonder though along those lines because this is so dramatic but, and but different. There's, yeah, there's two things I want to respond to that. One, first of all, we're starting with independent schools simply because we have a kind of flexibility and nimbleness that no other school has. Right, we are not subject to a lot of um, state requirements. Right, but we will be a consortium that includes schools, public, private, charter. We already have 80 public school districts that raise their hand and say we'd like to be part of what you're doing. We've made some really nice partnerships with public school consortiums, and, and when we're ready and they're ready, we expect to reach out to them. Great Schools Partnership in New England, which is a group of, of public schools that are, are way ahead of most private schools, actually, on competency and proficiency-based assessment, actually. They're way ahead of us. But we have, we have two advantages as the, as the icebreaker for this. One is we're nimble. Um, and two is we're disproportionately represented in, this, in the student bodies of the most selective colleges in the United States. We're 1% of the total student body. We're almost 10% of the enrolled student body in the Ivy Leagues. So we're pretty credible to college admissions world, at least we should be. Um, 
but we, we absolutely intend to partner with Cuz, but we're only six months old and we want to be very careful and we're only 1% and we only have two full-time staff, so we can barely support the 1% we're supporting. We don't want to make promises we can't deliver, but, but if there is an appetite there, we'll scale. We'll bring in um, leadership, we'll bring public schools to be part of the leadership team and do that. The second thing I want to talk about is trend lines, though, because you, you opened this up. Um, because of the system right now, colleges are, are kind of victims to the system more than they are drivers of it. Inquiry and applicant pools are hyperinflating beyond the rate of staff increases. So I would bet that Rochester's admission staff is bigger than it used to be, but I bet its applicant pool is even bigger than its admission staff growth, which means the system is starting to privilege efficiency in a way that is, um, to those of us on the high school side, terrifying, actually. And we want to say, okay, fine, we have to be efficient. We'll meet you halfway. We'll create a really efficient way for you to read our kids but in ways that represent them authentically. So we know efficiency is a necessity that, you know, I talked to um, a dean of admission has 45,000 applications and their staff has not grown to meet that increase. So our transcript will be readable in two minutes or less. That's a promise we're making. But we, we want it to have legitimacy so that it can include things like persistence and teamwork and leadership and not just English, math, history, foreign language. So anyway, sorry to, to go sideways, but those are the things I want to make sure get out there. It's all on topic. It counts. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, no, I'll carry away. Yeah, so. no, please. That's the whole point. Uh, you know, get let's let's get carried away. Um, you know, speaking of trend lines, um, in general, sort of, there's this shifting sort of sense out there that. Um, Lots of things need to change, need to change dramatically um, uh, for kids, first and foremost, right? Um, out of this came, uh, you know, the turning the tide report, right? And the fact that, um, uh, and, and the work of, of uh, former uh, podcast uh, guest, Denise Pope at Challenge Success, yeah, right? Denise to, is on our advisory board. Great. Yep. So um, thinking about the degree to which kids are, 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 are overstressed and overworked and, and uh, you know, overexpected to do things. Um, and then uh, sort of related to that, it's, it seems that there was a, another giant change that happened uh, that seemed to cause a, a lot more consternation than, than it, it has so far delivered, and that would be the coalition application. And um, you chose another C word. You are a consortium. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I wonder the extent to which the consortium and the transcript that, um, that you've developed here was in any way related or a growth out of the decision by the selective, you know, the schools that um, meet 100% of need and graduate students within 75% 70, within four years that have become a coalition application uh, entity. How are these two um, projects related? Our origin story has nothing to do with them, but they're logically related. Um, we've talked to Andy Resnick's on our advisory council. We're keeping really close tabs on what they're doing. Um, we've had a number of conversations with what what they're doing. Um, you know, they have goals that are to serve the colleges that are part of their um, uh, their group. Um, our goals is to serve the high schools that are part of our group. But we think there's a possibility that they might overlap. Um, we don't know where and we don't know how, but we've had those conversations. Um, we're open to partnership with anybody who wants to fix the system of sorting and stratifying and handing kids off to colleges. Anybody who fundamentally thinks there must be a better way to do this, 
we're very eager to sit down and have a conversation with. Anybody who thinks the current system is just fine, it's working great for us, not so much. Um, and, and, and here's a little anecdote for you. I have to argue with first grade parents that their kids shouldn't be getting homework because they think they really need at least an hour of homework every day so they can get into a good college someday. And I have to say, no, your child needs to play and go to bed early. That's what your child needs to do. That's all driven by this incredible insanity around hyper-selectivity of colleges today. Um, and these parents aren't crazy people. They're very smart, successful people who adore their children. But it's permeated, it's, it's, got a, it's, it's gone down to early elementary. And I'm not even in one of those places where the parents are hyper crazy. I'm in Cleveland, so they're people are pretty chill in Cleveland. There's some crazy people in Cleveland. Yeah, a little bit, a few, but but <laughs> but most. But you know, I, we have to argue about homework for for six and seven year olds. That's insane, um, and and it's driven by this idea that there's one way to get all the prizes in life, which is to get into a great college, and that that is the holy grail. And by the way, that there's a very narrow window of kinds of things you should be good at and demonstrate if you wanted to. And there are only a, there are a very narrow band of colleges that even matter for that for the purposes of that goal, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Our healthiest kids are the ones whose parents say, I don't care what, where my kid goes to college. I just want them to have a good education and be happy in life. Those kids have the best experience in my high school. We're actually trying to create an assessment model that allows those kids to have that attitude and still demonstrate that they've achieved a lot and that they're really interesting three-dimensional kids. Um, the other thing is my school's mission is we were founded by a guy who said the purpose of Hawkins School is the development of character. Well, if we're developing character, then the things associated with character, teamwork, leadership, resilience, persistence, integrity, are things we ought to be watching and monitoring and supporting in our kids and making time for it. Um, I'd like to be able to represent to the colleges the extraordinary things that happen to the kids who do well in that attempt and other than their teacher recommendations which are increasingly not even being read very well or at all um, it's it's tough to figure out how to be able to translate that we think our system will do a much better job of that um, tell me about the role that teachers have played in the development of this and as you have talked to uh, schools and brought them on board as members of the consortium how it has gone over with their teaching staff sure. uh, when they've presented this as an I, sure. as an idea to them. Well, there's a um, couple layers of answer, but I'll do it very quickly. Um, in, in we're only six months old, so there are schools who've joined the consortium whose teachers know very little about this. <laughs> their leadership team has decided that they want to be part of this effort. What I but here's something that's unique, and it may not be that welcome from your lens as a college admission person, which is that the individual credits at each school are specific to the school. There is no such thing as a mastery credit, except for there's Hawkins mastery credit, and there's Punahou's mastery credit, and there's Lakeside's mastery credit. There's no such thing as a mastery credit. So they're written by the faculty. The faculty at every school has to write these credits. Now we have a team of people on staff that will assist with that process. And we've had one, and we're gonna write a site director's meeting. So each school has one or two site directors. And we are actively training them how to have these conversations with their faculty to create master credits. And we've hired some of the world's best experts in assessment. Um, people like Jay McTighe, um, Kevin Mattely, um, who are really world renowned. We're gonna create a set of starter, a starter set. So if you're not sure what one looks like, Here's a couple hundred of them you can choose from and pick and choose, and you can make your own and supplement. So we're going to have some expertise that we provide to schools on how you write assessment credits. And 
Um, but each school has to create their own. And so we think that's going to be complicated and take a while. But we also think it's how the faculty get vested in this. It's how they believe in this. They believe in this because they decided that um, applied digital technologies or, um, uh, let's see, making artistic meaning was a, a worthy goal for a high school kid and they wrote the standard. Um, when you let teachers write the standards and you let teachers decide what matters in terms of credits, that's not hard to get them to buy into the system because they wrote the system. Um, all we're creating is the framework that they can t that allows them to take the credits they create and present them to colleges in a in a logically organized way that can be digestible in under two minutes. How's that going to work in public schools where we talk about writing standards? I mean, there there are layers and layers and layers of standards that are that are foisted upon you know public public systems of education that have you know not not a lot of room to move in there. Right, and so um, the the. The set of standards for public schools are um, very different state by state, and even within states, district by to district, district, district yeah. right? And so this model allows any school to create any master credit. You could have a set of master credits that are all content credits if you wanted to. I think it would be a waste of time, but you could. So, so a school could literally take their common core standards and translate those into master credits if that's what they wanted to do. And, and some may start there. They may decide to translate the the mass the the Common Core standards to translate them into mastery credits, and then use the system to assess that. But it it doesn't limit them. So if they want to take create additional mastery credits beyond the minimum state standards, every even public school should be should and I think can be allowed to do that. Which means the universe of available credits for kids to display could be the Common Core plus other credits you could as a public school might have a persistence credit that isn't part of the common core but is part of their graduation requirement so it, it might allow them to supplement what they show on their transcript or available credit in addition to it one of the reasons that we didn't start with public schools is that it would have taken us three years to inventory all of the credit standards across the United States and then build an infrastructure large enough to go one by one so our, our approach is to, is to use this as a way to get college admissions folks to say, you know what, that's a credible way to represent kids. We're okay with that. We'll accept these um, transcripts. As soon as it becomes acceptable to, to colleges, state colleges, private colleges, um, those educational leaders in the public system who want to move in this direction will have a lot more latitude. And so that's, that's, that's something that the independent schools might provide it's um, a benefit for um, is we can just get there faster because as long as our parents board and senior administrators are aligned we can do in most states within reason almost anything curricularly we have a lot of latitude what have been some of the uh, criticisms that you've heard about this um, sure because there have been some uh, some maybe uh, uh, Rather, rather quick to judge, uh, perhaps maybe sure. given the, the 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 newness of this concept and and the the, the limited scope of it thus far. But uh, regardless, there's been some news about that, and I wonder, sure. you know, what you've heard and 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 yeah. what you think about it. Yeah, and I'll break them into two kinds of criticisms: legitimate and illegitimate. So um, here's the illegitimate ones: the ones people who haven't taken the time to understand what we're doing and start critiquing it. And we've had a couple press pieces. I'm like, you're representing us in a way that's not accurate, which is 
ha happens. What was the nature of that illegitimate criticism? They didn't realize that it was an electronic transcript. They thought it was a flat file, that this was the whole sum total of the information we were sending to colleges. And they said, well, there's no way to understand. This will make it impossible for colleges to understand. No, it isn't. You can click down and see there's three layers to this. You can understand all of it. And they never really understood the diagram. They never really understood the infographic that makes the summary possible. They misinterpreted it and then extrapolated a whole op-ed around a, a complete misread of it. And in one case, never talk to anyone in an organization. So if you don't bother to understand what you're critiquing, your critique is illegitimate. So, so now, the critique that we've got that is illegitimate, but it's understandable. So this is a lead. Here you go. The, they, there goes the private schools again, changing the rules so only their kids can win, right? That this is elitist. Um, uh, and, and, and so that critique is one that bothers me more than anything else because um, the only reason we're starting with private schools is that somebody's got to get this started. And it has to be a group that can do it nimbly. And frankly, it has to be a group with power. And nobody likes to talk, of the, the upside of elitism is that we actually can get things done. The APs wouldn't have existed if they were, start, they were founded and started by private high schools. They, the private high schools basically called their friends in, in the college world and said, hey, we're basically teaching college level courses. We want our kids to get credit. Next thing you know, the AP was formed. Um, we have the ability to do that. You know, if 150 prep schools say we want to credit our sins, the college, our friends in college will sit down with us and have that conversation. Um, but nobody in our consortium would be satisfied with this if it doesn't serve all kinds of kids in all kinds of schools. And in fact, we're intentionally going to design this so this will enable particularly talented, capable kids trapped in, in under-resourced schools to show who they are in a much better way with or without the support of their school. That our system actually can be designed in a way that a kid can actually work around the limitations of their school to demonstrate who they are. And that's actually the intent of the coalition that we actually like. Um, now the coalition has their own challenges that are theirs that we don't want to own, um, and they're working through them, and I'm, I'm excited to see them work through it. But their intent we really like, which is the idea that kids can show who they are, with or without the support of a school that may or may not be able to provide them the support. So um, the other one is that uh, the critique that we get is it's just too cumbersome. And on its face, I understand that one. If you, if you, if you used to... Are you putting this in the category of legitimate criticism? I think this is a legitimate criticism, but it's, it's one we can answer. It, it's legitimate because you look at what that transcript I just handed you, and it looks nothing like a transcript. And if you're used to assessing kids' high school with one construct, and I hand you a brand new construct, you're going to go, wait a second, this is too cumbersome. But once you understand it, and, and if we live, our, we know what our metrics are. I, I surveyed my friends in college admissions. They said, how long do you give the high school transcript? And the high-end estimate was 90 seconds of time. I said, well, can I have two minutes? And I said, most of them said, yeah, we'd give you two minutes. So that's our metric. We have to design a transcript that can be readable, at least on its surface, so you can tell the kids apart um, in under two minutes. The, one, the other one that is, um, is illegitimate is there's what there's nothing wrong with the current system you know what are these guys doing there's what's wrong with the grades who's telling you that uh, I've had a lot of I've had a lot of people say I don't see what the problem with grades are you know what's the matter you know you can't be competitive there's two problems with grades first of all and I'm gonna say this and I challenge all of your podcast listeners to email me if I'm wrong 
There is no research, none, to back up the efficacy of grades. It, and there's a pile of research, a mountain of research that shows grades are, hard, are, are counterproductive to learning. They actually diminish kids' interest in learning, they diminish kids' effort, and they diminish results. Grades are bad for learning. And the research is overwhelming. So it's a bad practice. But even if I can't convince you with mountains of research that I've, no one's been able to refute yet, it was designed to be a five-point system with C, with C being the midpoint of a bell curve. That doesn't exist anymore. We have a public school in our town that will remain nameless that has an average GPA of 378. There's no scale. So there's two problems with grading. It's a bad idea, corrupted. Other than that, it's perfect. And it's really unhealthy for kids. Because we put, because of the, the not only are we putting kids in a, in a situation where their teachers are judging them, but they're judging them on a compressed scale where the difference between success and failure it is, is really arguable, really. Uh, I, I, we have, I have a, a, an extraordinary humanities faculty. They're really talented. But they cannot look me in the eye and tell me that their A and their A minus are fundamentally a different grade. I'm sorry. And I have two great English teachers who might grade the same paper, and one of them might do an A minus. Now, they're not likely to give a kid an A and a C, but really there's a difference between those. Kids think there is. Kids think an A minus is a failure. That's really, some, that's messed up stuff. Yeah. And, and being in the trenches watching it happen to kids, it's heartbreaking. One of the things I'm curious about is the impact that this would have on um, the value of a standardized test in this option, uh, or in this, in this uh, world uh, where we are um, really left, we have two numeric measurements that we that we use uh in admissions and that directly impact you know the selectivity of the school its position on the u.s news and world report all of that kind of yep. stuff that everybody hates and everybody wants to yep. blow up but it's the truth right and so we've got this huge development of you know and and, and you know rapid like j-curve growth of yep. test optional schools and things like that yep. won't this now you know, do, what do you think the effect will be if, let's say, this catches on, it becomes a thing, it's happening, it's working, but there's still a whole bunch of schools out there that are not test optional, yeah. and so are, are sure. families now going to transition sure. their panic and anxiety yeah. more from the transcript even further to the direction of tense, test prep and stuff? Sure. Well, here's what I would say is that, um, and I'll say something that's probably going to be controversial. Uh -oh. there, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with standardized testing, but there's some legitimacy to standardized testing. There is no legitimacy to letter grades because if you work in a school and I work in a school and I give a B plus and you give an A, there's two problems with that. There's the individual teacher interpretation, and then there's the school standards. Your school may have a higher standard than my school on average, in which case, but we we they, there's a false equivalency applied to them when they're reviewed on transcripts, right? It's not they're apples and oranges and papayas. And they're treated as apples. So grades are illegitimate in the way they're used to make comparisons between kids at hello. Standardized tests have some legitimacy. It is standardized. It is a test. Um, now, we know that they have inherent biases, and, and we know that there's a direct relationship to the socioeconomic level of your parent and your likelihood to get a score on a test, which on its face would, would, would show that it's not actually um, helping um, create a meritocracy in our country. But those are set aside. The construct of a standardized test is not an illegitimate construct. Grades are. Grades are an illegitimate construct for assessing. 
So, and here's the problem, and it's a truth, and it's a truth we'll have to share, which is that you're a college admission person, you've been doing it forever, you've seen a million transcripts. Probably that's maybe not that many, but it's pretty close. You don't have to think very hard about a transcript. It looks if it if it has Carnegie and its letter grades, right? You you know how to you know how where to look for the Carnegie. Yeah, it's muscle memory at this point, right? When you right? Think, right. So if I even if I sat down and trained the the Rochester team for an hour on how to read these, as soon as you start getting them, you don't have that muscle memory. So you're probably going to default to standardized tests. You're probably going to overweight for a little while in transition. It's reasonable to assume yes, college admission readers will likely overweight the standardized test scores because they're not familiar with these new transcripts for a while. That's one of the reasons we need numbers so that when they start showing up, they start showing up in large numbers. So you're not just seeing like three mastery transcripts in a year, you're seeing hundreds of them. If you have to see hundreds of them, you'll develop a muscle memory a lot faster. And that the, the quick twitch ability to look at one of these transcripts and know exactly what you're looking at will develop faster and better. And we can transition past that sort of um, uh, new concept bias that will probably overweight standardized testing. So I think there will be a short-term kind of transition overweighting that we'll have to work around. But you know, if we can get hundreds of schools to produce mastery transcripts to hundreds of colleges, when they start showing up, it'll start as a trickle and it'll start being a lot more than a trickle. And then it'll just be a standard part of being an admission officer as you'll learn to read two kinds of transcripts. Just like you have to read multiple kinds, you know, you have, you have ACTs, SATs, you know, other testing that you look at, you know, um, IQ testing, you know, you have to learn how to read multiple testing. Eventually, you know, all admission officers will have to learn to read multiple kinds of transcripts. So, you just um, sort of challenged or exposed, I guess, the kind of fallacy of of any real kind of meritocracy in the system. And I'm I'm curious then, do you think that the the, the mastery transcript is meritocratic? I hope it will be. It's not built yet. Um, it will be built with a hope that that's what we can build in it. Um, but there are some inequities in the world that are really hard to build a system to totally countervail, right? The kids who come from schools with great teachers and great counselors and great advice are going to be disproportionately likely to have strong college profiles and, and profiles that are actually um, make them look as good or maybe even better than they really are. And the kids who come from under-resourced schools with overworked teachers and uh, uh, guidance counselors where there's 600 kids to one, I don't think there's a transcript that can fix that. I wish there were, but I think we can build things into our system to mitigate it. You know, I have a fantasy, and it's a total fantasy. Um, and um, one of the things that this potentially allows is divorcing the issuance of transcript credit from attendance to the school. Hawken could decide to offer um, 100 uh, transcript uh, portfolio reviews to kids in the Cleveland Public Schools and issue a Hawken certified transcript, not a diploma, um, running through our standards. So the kids submits all their work product from all their classes through our system and our teachers assess it. So. When a kid applies to Case or Kenyon um, from a CMSD school that might not be a school whose standards they trust, they'll see what they would look like against Hawkins standards. Go, wow, this kid's a gem in a weak school. This kid's this kid's a, a diamond in the rough. We, we're gonna go. So, so there there's there's ways that we've talked about trying to see if we can make this work really well in under-resourced schools. Um, 
but I don't think there's a transcript that can solve certain inequities. Tell me what the kids think about this. Well, it's interesting because um, uh, all all the kids at my school know, and I founded this thing, is that we're working on a transcript where where not only is content going to be recognized, but also skills and character will be recognized, and it won't have grades, and they will never see it unless they're in fifth grade or younger. That's that's pretty much all the kids in my school know. I certainly don't want the kids in my high school getting all excited about this because I won't be ready for them. So there's no point in showing them, hey, wouldn't this have been great if we put you through high school like this? But no, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to grind you through the old system because we don't have it available for you in time. So we have a public relations timing issue. I've talked to our parents association. Functionally, I've said, look, um, if your kid isn't in fifth grade or younger, this is probably an irrelevant conversation for you. If they're fifth grade and younger, stay tuned. In a couple of years, you're going to hear about this. And you you have kids on an advisory board or anything like that, kind of giving feedback? Uh, on not it? yet, but we will um, because... When we develop the platform and the model, um, we're gonna have to run it through every constituent that, that's gonna be involved in this. Kids, um, faculty, parents, advisors, college counselors, college admissions officers, um, uh, scholarship programs where kids have to submit, um, the NSA Clearinghouse. Um, we're gonna have to work through every one of the constituent types. That's why it's gonna take at least two years to develop this. There's no way you can do enough prototyping and testing from both the variety of schools that are sending schools and the variety of schools that are receiving colleges quickly. So it's going to take time. And it's expensive. We've raised $4 million of capital um, to date. The board is prepared to raise more if we need to. Um, we've had some really, really beneficial um, support from foundations, and we think there's more there if we need it. Um, and then the membership dues cover the cost of the organization of the support for the schools that are trying to do this work. So if people want to stay tuned and pay attention to the development of this as it goes through the you know couple years of testing and all so on and so forth, the next six to eight years as this thing rolls out, where, where should Facebook, people pay attention? Follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, check out our website. Um, but yeah, we're, we're trying to keep everybody who's connected to us informed with what we're doing. Um, and you know, it tends to damper excitement when people see what we're doing and they get a little excited. So yeah, it's going to be six to eight years. It's kind of hard to get excited about that. But... Um, you don't change a 130-year-old paradigm quickly um, if you don't do it with a belief in, in partnership and a belief in patience. It'll just blow up and fail. And, and so we, we, we're taking a measured approach because it's the only way it'll work. It's the only way it can be done. Thanks a million. I really appreciate yeah, your was, time. Thank that you. That was fun. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Lots of very good points here, I think, about the way our education system is currently set up. It's hard to argue with lots of his points on the trouble with grades, I think. I uh, appreciated hearing about it and thinking about a lot of it in, in, in new ways that I hadn't considered before. And I have a lot of thoughts about this. And per usual, there are tons of questions I didn't ask and some thoughts I had afterwards since I had a lot of time to think about this between the interview and right now, since the interview happened back in September been a busy fall. I wondered afterwards how the mastery transcript might account for a grade trend, which is a valuable demonstration of academic achievement over time, which can usually vindicate a student with a lower overall GPA whose grades are on the rise and ideally as good as they've ever been by the time they're applying. I'm not sure I could tell that from looking at it or, or talking to them, but, but those are the kinds of details I would imagine would get hashed out over the next six to eight years of its development, as he said. 
And since they're interested in measuring these kinds of things, I wondered also if it would be harder for a teacher to tell a kid that they didn't master something that might be more of a character trait than something more purely academic? I don't know. If we're trying to move past nitpicking over grades, I could see the potential nitpicking over relative degree of mastery uh, being its own special beast, perhaps. Something else I wanted to dig into deeper is the nature of this initiative as one that is being championed by only private schools, right? And according to Mr. Looney, this is only happening at private schools for now. He said that it was simply a matter of the operation scale that prohibited them from including public schools at the outset, and that it's in the cards to do so down the road once you know proof of concept is established. As they said on the, uh, on the MTC website, the MTC plans to include public charter and parochial schools in the future, but is containing membership to independent schools for the early phase of development to minimize complications on the path to a proof of concept. And there are plenty of complications as I'll get into. The truth is that private schools just have more agility to affect change on this order than public schools do, and that's complicated since admissions offices get both groups of students in our application pools and some other groups of students like homeschool students and parochial school students. So what does this mean? A lot of public school systems have issues to contend with that private ones don't have. As I mentioned in the interview, there are layers of government regulatory concerns when it comes to reforms and trying new things. Lots of them are saddled with budget deficits, not to mention the fact that in districts like mine here in New York City, with its 1.1 million school children, grading systems and their impact on college readiness Maybe somewhere down the line, realistically, after establishing the basic welfare of students and getting them out the door in four years with a meaningful diploma, period. Consider that just under half of New York City's graduates were deemed college ready in 2016. And this is by the city's measure of uh, college readiness, which says that students who don't require remediation in math or writing before taking a college level course are considered college ready. These schools just serve different populations, usually those with fewer resources to attend a private school, and so many of America's public school systems are mainly helping people with some of the more foundational uh, parts of you know, Maslow's pyramid. Scott Looney rightly pointed out that a transcript isn't going to solve inequities, and frankly, it's fairly silly to assume that one thing, let alone a, a high school transcript, could ever really do that. I'm, I'm bringing this up for a few reasons, but not least of which because I've taken up a charge as best I can with this podcast first presented to me by Ben Castleman in episode seven to metaphorically speaking, shut up about Harvard. And what I mean is that a lot of us in, uh, you know, that talk about college admissions and, and, and play the game get breathlessly anxious when we discuss college admissions while forgetting that a, a majority of students don't need to jump through the hurdles that selective colleges place before their applicants. This is always a good filter to have on uh, understanding this whole phenomenon to the extent that, that one can be mindful of it and, and keep that filter in place. Now, lots of the criticism about the transcript is aimed at the part of the mastery transcript that helps kids get into college. And of course, that's why I was interested in talking to Mr. Looney about it, apropos of the podcast. But maybe this line of criticism forgets that at its core, this is a way to help kids learn and develop better. What gets measured gets done, right? It reminded me of something a friend of mine, uh, James Murphy, said in a tweet about the potentially duplicitous motives of test-optional schools. He said, why does the motive matter? The question is, does it help or hurt students? 
So we have on the one hand a new way to measure the development of students as humans who are not just information repositories and it reduces the dangerously stressful need to get A's that a lot of people feel which I think we'd all agree is probably needed and if nothing else the approach here is, is super interesting. And on the other hand, those kids from private schools like those in the Mastery Consortium do go into the admission pool with more than a few points in their favor before we even start reading their file, just usually by virtue of the kind of benefits that uh, they receive as a result of their socioeconomic status. You know, more resources to do test prep, to even have gone to a school like that in the first place, uh, so on and so forth. So would a transcript like this offer private school students some kind of additional advantage beyond those that they might already have as graduates of Earth's most elite private schools? Well, some say so. And in that case, maybe my friend's comment about motive might mean that it helps some students and hurts others in the process because... Uh, as one Washington Post editorial pointed out, quote, admissions at top colleges is a zero-sum game, after all. If signal jamming by the private schools of the world sufficiently confuses college admissions officers into accepting more of their students, fewer spots will be available for other schools. One might say that this criticism is based on the assumption that college admissions officers like me are highly susceptible to such signal jamming confusion, and so colleges won't be able to understand and therefore rank students in the applicant pool from a given school in terms of highest academic achiever to lowest academic achiever. So it seems to me that while an expedient review of this transcript is going to be essential to its success with people like me in admissions offices, under two minutes per review, as Mr. Looney says, the due diligence of admissions offices is going to become more important so that we can make sure that we don't disadvantage kids who don't have this option. Admissions counselors at schools like mine, and like the ones that MTC kids will generally be applying to, have to keep in mind the different environmental contexts within which all students in our applicant pools have grown up to present themselves to us. And if we're flooded with a bunch of mastery transcripts, that responsibility shouldn't waver. And then perhaps, you know, public schools get into it, as per the MTC's plan, as Mr. Looney said. If this is going to take hold in the fashion that the MTC hopes, and the best that we can hope for is equal opportunities for those public schools of every stripe to adopt this model if they so choose. It's not that easy, but that's what we can hope for. It can't just be a thing that private school kids get to do. And I'm encouraged to hear that this is on the roadmap for this project, and it's worth staying tuned to make sure that this part of it happens. We're a long ways away from it actually becoming a reality, but uh, I'm interested enough to stay tuned for the next six to eight years. By the way, for more on the importance of context in the college admissions process, I'd recommend episode 18 with Michigan professor Michael Bastido. Probably lots of other thoughts you're having, I hope, that I didn't uh, address. So share them with me by emailing crushpod at gmail.com. Share your thoughts with friends by posting this episode on Facebook. I left Facebook after the election because it was just a sort of a, a giant triggering nightmare for me. But I, I hear it still exists. Uh, I'm sure its stock prices plummeted as people like me just, just ran screaming from that online platform, right? That's what happened. Uh, anyways, if not Facebook, I do have a, a, a Twitter profile. It's Crush Pod, and I like doing stuff there. So go ahead and share it there. Um, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Good luck to all you early decision applicants out there who uh, should be hearing back from schools soon. Thanks for listening, and spread love, everybody. Bye-bye.